Hallo und grüß dich von den paranormalen Mädels. Ich hoffe, dass es keine Gänsehaut gibt und dass es gar nicht mehr wie zwei, drei Schauen. Oh fuck, wrong language. Sorry, y'all. Welcome to a Paranormal Chicks Podcast, Sinister Sightings. I hope y'all have goosebumps and creepy feelings. Y'all need to sign up to be a creepy naughty. I promise y'all it's worth it. Much love, Valeria. Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 57. And you just heard Valeria. And um, that language, though, she might have summoned a demon. I'm not sure. I wish I was so smart like that and like could speak multiple languages. I know. Like, you have to have a certain brain for that. And like, give me science, give me numbers, don't give me another language. Like, I just don't have an ear and a brain for languages. Yeah, me either. But y'all heard her. She said sign up. So, you know, you want to, head on over. Patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, let's jump right in. This one is called True Crime. Am I capable of raising a murderer? Dun, dun, dun. Girl, you took the duns right out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say the D. I said the dun. <laughs> okay. So, the writer asked for us to use a fake name and... Per their request, the writer shall be known henceforth as Drea von Hustenberg. <laughs> okay. Hey there, ladies. I've been wanting to get some true crime stories over to you for a while, but I've been stuck in an analysis paralysis state trying to figure out which story to start with and how to roll it out. With true crime, I tend to go down multiple rabbit holes at the same time and end up with six concurrent storylines but I'm hoping I am able to convey this story in a somewhat organized way. It's the murders of Don and Antonio Armstrong. This one has been on my radar since day one because it was right next to my son's daycare, which made me wonder if my son would ever be capable of killing me or murder in general. And if so, what would my role have been in making him capable of something like this? The morning of Friday... July 29th, 2016, started like any other day. I was running late, as always. Same, girl, same. Trying to get through Houston traffic, been there, to get my one-and-a-half-year-old at the time to daycare and myself to work on the other side of town by 8 a.m. Side note, I like to say that Houston is an hour away from Houston without traffic, sprinkling traffic, my chronic insomnia, and ambient grogginess. It should go without saying that every morning is mass chaos in my household. So my son's daycare is in Bel Air, Texas. Hold up. That just triggered. I know this story. Oh, shit. I remember it. Okay, sorry. Houston's a little weird because we are so spread out that we have cities inside our city. Bel Air is one of them, but it's pretty centrally located just south of the Galleria area. Anyhow, Bel Air, Texas is known to be a nicer area of town. Million dollar homes, good schools, not much crime, relatively speaking, to the area less than a mile outside of its boundaries. Very present policing in a healthy way, etc. Anyway, Houston has no zoning, so my son's daycare was on a small residential one-way street, literally house-to-house-to-house to house to house daycare compound. 
three townhomes and all houses on the other side of the street. That's so true in Houston. Like, and you will go from like one like little bitty house that's been there since like 1954 to this like massive house that they bought two lots and tore down the two old houses and built this like monstrous house. You know, like the the zoning is so bizarre slash non-existent in Houston. So here I go, already behind schedule. I turn onto the street of his daycare and see that we're not only cars and vans blocking what would be my way off the street once I dropped him off, a portion of the small daycare parking lot looked blocked off. I was immediately annoyed and rolled my eyes, but stopped mid-roll because I realized that the cars were police cars and it was police tape and news vans that were taking up portion of the daycare parking lot. Oh, shit. Of course, running late was no longer a concern of mine because I've now officially gone into detective mode. My husband usually refers to this as being nosy. He's wrong. Since I didn't know exactly what was going on, I parked in the furthest spot away from the commotion and carefully walked my son into daycare, but still trying to see what was going on. A robbery? A domestic dispute? A drug raid? Which, by the way, would all be out of place in the city of Bel Air. But then I realized that one of the vans was the medical examiner. Holy shit, the medical examiner was there. This had to be serious. When I walked into the daycare, I passed the front office and saw their part-time office coordinator. She was young, maybe late teens, early 20s, and super sweet and mature. She looked like she had just seen a ghost. I immediately said, oh my god, the medical examiner is next door. What's going on? She shrugged and awkwardly said, I can't say. I thought it was an odd response, but kept walking and dropped my son off in his class. I had a pretty good rapport with his teacher slash caregiver, so I asked her, what's happening next door? She pulled me out of view of the other employees and started to whisper. She said, we're not allowed to say anything, but someone was shot. The police were here earlier asking about our outside cameras. What the F? Now, I really wanted to know what happened. I asked, so... Is it safe to leave my son? She said yes, that whatever happened, this was now just the aftermath. So then reality hit me, and I remembered, I still need to go to work. A police officer was directing traffic the opposite direction of a one-way street, so I couldn't linger as I was leaving the parking lot. As soon as I got to work, I logged into my computer and started Googling various searches to see if I could find out what was going on. I really couldn't find anything other than those short breaking news reports that basically say, we don't know what happened yet, but we know something has happened, and we want to make sure we all can say, you heard it here on Channel Blank first. So we're just going to put something vague and meaningless in an article and update it later. I hate those articles because I always do that same thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, new no, same thing. No, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. ugh. Rewind a little bit, the entire time I thought the incident was at the townhome right next to the daycare, I'd never seen the people who lived there, but was still super intrigued. As the day went on, I kept searching Google like five to ten minutes. Then finally, an article on HoustonPress.com, and it said a 16-year-old boy shot and killed his mother and nearly killed his father, who was taken to the hospital in critical condition. They weren't saying the name of the boy, but the parents had been identified as Don Whitley Armstrong and Antonio Armstrong. 
who was a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. Wait a minute. This wasn't the townhome right next door. This was the middle townhome. The one with the sweet family that would give a wave and a nod and a warm smile to everyone who drove by. I was so confused at this point. They're saying their son shot them. A son who attended one of the most prestigious and pricey private schools in Houston. The one they always put up signs about on their front lawn to show their school spirit. This cannot be right. When I went back to pick up my son after work that day, the owner of the daycare was on watch, making sure everyone was tight-lipped about the situation. The only comment they would make was, due to our policy, we cannot comment on the matter. So that night slash the next day, I scoured the internet looking for additional information. I found some references on social media, but nothing really too much about the story. The following day, more information started coming in. It talked about a former NFL player had been confirmed dead after a critical condition. So in the email, she sent a couple of articles like that she had found. And I think it's so interesting that it's like the son's name isn't being released because he's 16 years old, but he shot and killed his parents. And here are the parents' name. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I mean, that wouldn't be that hard to find. But this article talks about how, like, the family was, like, there was no reason behind it they could find. They have a daughter, too, and she was at home at the time of the shooting, but she was okay. And just everything was saying, like, how bizarre it was because outstanding family. So the key points of it is that the son called 911 the night of the shooting to say there was someone in the house and he heard gunshots in his parents' room. When the police arrived, the dispatcher was still on the phone with the son and heard him disable the alarm to let the police officers inside. The younger sister slept through the shooting. They found the murder weapon on the kitchen counter with no fingerprints. The police did not find any signs of forced entry. The son was arrested on suspicion of the shooting, and he denied it, and he still does to this day. He gets charged and is declared that he will be tried as an adult and then is released on $200 bond. Wow. What the fuck? Wow. The school year right before the shooting, the son had gotten kicked out of the private school and was going to be changing over to public schools. It's said that his parents took away his car after he racked up credit card charges and failed out of school. This created a lot of tensions between him and his parents. Officers also found evidence that the son had recently used his father's gun, a twenty-two caliber pistol, on his own to shoot a stack of comforters. The theory is he was practicing. Police also found burn marks on the carpet with a fire accelerant, which was found in his bedroom, in the doorway of his parents' bedroom. The son told police that he was playing with matches and he accidentally dropped one on the floor, creating the burn marks. He couldn't explain the accelerant. Seems open and shut, right? Wrong. Do you remember all of this, Carrie? No. I don't remember all that at all. Some of the conspiracy theories start to unfold. A friend of the family went to police and stated that she had suspicions that her husband and the victims were involved in a prostitution ring or sex work ring and had received death threats but couldn't give any hard facts or evidence. Turns out she was currently going through a messy divorce and custody battle at the time. She later backpedaled on her story. There was an older son who did not live at home with them who defense says may have gotten in without using the keypad to disable the alarm and left before police arrived. This doesn't make sense, but whatever. The defense's argument for pointing the finger at the older brother was that he had a history of depression slash bipolar disorder and suicidal tendencies and also could have been jealous 
slash resentful that he was only the half-brother, Don's son, to the mother. This argument angers me because people with depression and bipolar disorder are not homicidal just because, and the father adopted the older brother when he was still a toddler. It doesn't make sense that he suddenly became overwhelmed with jealousy after 20 years. And this is a carry note. That man adopted him. That was his son. There's no like half blood da, 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 after yes. that. There, he adopted him. Yes. The defense made statements that the family was undergoing financial problems and maybe owed the wrong people money. They also said it could have been a murder-suicide, but that was quickly debunked because how do you shoot yourself in the head, go put the gun in the kitchen, take off all the fingerprints, and go back upstairs and lay next to your murdered wife and leave no blood on your way? At the trial, 28 witnesses testified for the prosecution, and the central part of their case was that AJ had to kill his parents because an alarm system showed no one entering or exiting the home leading up to and following the shooting. Moreover, the sensors on the second floor near the parents' bedroom recorded movement between the third and second floors roughly 30 minutes before AJ called 911 to report an intruder in the home. And his bedroom is on the third floor. Well, the verdict was a mistrial. He's set for retrial Monday, January 6, 2002. So ladies, did he do it? There are so many pieces of information that I couldn't figure out how to include it without turning this into a two-day story, but I'd be happy to send some links that include a little pieces of information to make it more interesting. Also, why has the only time the boy showed any emotion through this whole thing is when he saw the crime scene photos during the trial? Oh yeah, and one more thing. After the couple was shot, someone put pillows over their heads afterwards. Which, to me, says they were killed by someone who didn't want to see what they had done to the couple. Perhaps shame or guilt for doing this to their own parents. Also, the mother was shot first. Close range. The father was shot not as precise. And there were also bullet holes over him on the headboard. The theory is that whoever did it failed to consider the initial gunshot would wake up the other person. And that the father woke up just as the son aimed the weapon at him. Holy shit, Drea von Houstenberg. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I totally just looked it up and because I mean that was not that long ago. But as of March eleventh, twenty twenty, there was still no like the the headline is that the defense team's heading back to court. Like they're just still trying to do like pretrial motion stuff. Well, wow, that was a wild ride. I cannot believe that his bond was two hundred dollars. Right? Also, Texans, y'all hear it first. So if y'all, like, hear updates, let us know. Right? Because now I'm invested. Fuck. All right. Hey, ladies, I'm about to share this story with you, and I think I have told maybe two others in the entire world about this. Well, now I'm telling a lot of people through YouTube. Love the show. You two keep me out of trouble at work. Thanks again, Karen Ladd. Okay, this is probably my most weird and creeptastic experience dealing with the paranormal. Some background on this. The real name of the road is Bowden Road. It's located near Huntsville, Texas. It's a dirt road and on and off it's tree-lined. Any houses on it are about a half a mile off the road. 
At one end was once an abandoned, falling apart old house, and at the other of the three to four mile road, a historic plantation style home. Right in the middle is a cemetery called Martha's Chapel. This happened around 1996, and the experiences took place over a year. I have recently found out that they put a historical marker in the cemetery, and there have been recent burials there. It started one night at the beginning of spring when I was hanging out with my friend Tara and her boyfriend Brian, and we were at her house in Huntsville playing card and board games with some other friends. Somehow, we got into a conversation about haunted places in Texas. You know, as you do. Mm Mm-hmm. The conversation continued for a couple of hours. As the other friends started to leave, eventually it was just Tara, Brian, and me. I was not ready to head back into Houston to my home, so we decided to go for a drive and see if any parties were going on in the local spots. I let Tara drive since she knew the area better than me, along with the fact I had drunk a couple of glasses of wine. We drove around, and eventually I noticed Tara is driving away from town. I asked her where we're going, and she responded, it's a surprise. Now, admittedly, my first thought was great. She's driving us into trouble. But I kept that to myself. We eventually go down this dark paved road, and she slows down to a crawl with the car. And I ask, what are you looking for? And she tells me, a broken house. Now my interest is peaked. We're looking for a broken house. She drives about a mile in the car this way, and then I see what she's talking about. On the right side of the road is a building that looks like it's caving in and the porch is about to fall off. She spots it also and says, see, a broken house. She turns right onto this dirt road. At this moment, my first thought is a pasture party, but I quickly learned that this was not going to be any party. Well, a pasture party sure sounds shitty. Uh... Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. But my first thought for a pasture party is, aside from only in Texas, is where you go pee. Uh, Outside. It's a pasture. Yeah, yeah. But so I got to squat what I'm going to wipe with. And you know I'm going to fall over in my pee. I can't squat and pee. I can't squat and do anything. (laughs) I can't either. But And I would step in shit. Again, that's why it sounds shitty to me. Because everyone else, it would be like neon. Me, I'd be like, do-do-do, in fucking flip-flops. <laughs> so true. So true. I would fall in my pee, and you would slip and slide and cow shit. Yes, and then my the little thing on between my toes would break, break. and I'd have to do the shuffle, shit, <laughs> shot, shit slide. <laughs> oh, my God. And that sounds shitty. Shuffle, shit, slide. <laughs> We start driving down this road. I'm looking out the windows trying to figure out, one, where am I? And two, what the hell are we doing out here? All I see are trees and darkness out the side windows. And when I look out the front windows, all I see is the headlights and the pure blackness beyond that. Then she turned the headlights off. For a full three minutes, I am panicking and telling her if she wrecks my car, I will wreck her. She finally raised her voice over mine and said, look out the window. I did. The road was glowing. Not glow stick glowing, but a soft glow to it. I rolled down my window, sticking my head out and look up and behind me. 
and I'm looking for the moon because the moon would cause a glow to the road. There was no moon. I pull my head in and roll up the window. My mind is making mental notes. Normal spring night noises. Check. I'm wide awake. Check. I'm not drunk. Check. The whole time I'm looking at this glowing road. Brian tells me that this is normal, and if I chill out, nothing bad will happen. Now you tell me. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I am currently starring in my horror movie and wondering if my friend's boyfriend is a weird cult leader or killer. I grow very quiet because my mind is now writing a super scary story that I'm starring in, except in my mind, her boyfriend was the villain. I would turn out to be very wrong in that thought. We continue down this road for about 10 minutes. The road forks, and you can go straight or left. We turn left. I look up and noticed a street sign. Martha's Chapel is what it said in bright white letters against the green background. Tara turns the headlights back on, and after a few minutes, a chain-link fence with the gate opens to come into the view of the headlights. She pulls right up to the gate and stops the car and turns it off. She and her boyfriend get out of the car. They walk up to the gate and open it. My eyes had to be adjusted to the darkness, and as they open the gate, I realize that we are in front of the cemetery. Instantly, my thought was that they could have just told me we were going to a cemetery, and I would have been cool with that. I get out of the car into the balmy spring night, hearing all the bugs of Texas that go along with the spring nights, and I walk up to the gates. Tara walks into the cemetery, and Brian makes a motion for me to go behind her. I do, and I can hear him locking and shutting the gate behind me. First thing I notice is that the place is old. All the outlines of the headstones are all uniquely shaped. I see a small bench. I walk up to it and pull out my lighter, dragging it across the bench to make sure it's not a headstone or a part of a grave. Fortunately, it was not. It seemed like more of that, it was there to overlook the cemetery. Sidebar, hello 1996 that you had to pull out your lighter and not your yes. phone flashlight. Yes. I sit down. Tara walks up and leans against a tree and she said, I love this place. It's so peaceful. I can see Brian off in the distance, flicking his lighter occasionally to read a headstone. I ask Tara what the story with this place is, and she tells me not much is known about it, but she found it one day and comes out here to make sure all the headstones can be seen occasionally. I continue to take in my surroundings and realize that there's no sounds, no crickets, no bugs biting me. I look up and I can see the outlines of the trees that they're not moving at all. I lower my head and look right at the trees outside the gate, and they're softly moving, yet I feel no wind. In my mind, I mark this as weird. Tara has moved to the back of the cemetery, and I get up and go towards her. She's standing in front of a headstone, and Brian is cleaning the weeds from it. I ask her what the deal was with the glowing road. She tells me that the road has a story, and it's not good. I tell her that when we leave, I want to know, but not now. We wander around the cemetery for about another hour, and when we go to leave, Brian again opens the gate, and as I step across the gate opening, I feel the wind. Again, I note weird in my mind, but I don't say anything. We get back in the car and start to drive back. Once we get to her house, I ask, what's the story with that road? She tells me that supposedly there is an Indian burial ground around there. 
that the road had an old abandoned barn at the other end that was used for cult activity and that there is an old plantation around there that hung slaves during the Civil War. And if they do not like you, they will let you know. Oh, my God. I asked how, and she said the spirits get more and more aggressive each time. But also, that's all rumors and legends. I tell her I'm glad that you did not tell me while we were there. Then I leave to go home. The next morning, I take my daughter to the local library. I tried looking up information about this road and cemetery, but no luck. Again, hello, 1996. (laughs) About three months go by, and I'm at Tara's again. This time, my other friend was with me, and it's daylight, so we go back down to the cemetery to clear some more headstones. We stay till dark, and as we head home, my friend asks why kids are laying in the field after dark. I look at the direction she is, and there's nothing but pasture. No kids. Just fresh-cut pasture. I tell her maybe because it's cooler at night. Then she says, well, the figure watching them must be hot because he's in all-black robes, as if it's no big deal. I look at Tara with the side eye and punch the gas a little harder. At this very moment, I was a little scared. I feel the car jerk a little as I did this, almost like I could not get constant traction, and it continued until we made it back to the main road. I dropped Tara off and headed back home. I decided to have my car checked out because of what it did that night before. While at the shop, the mechanic asked me if someone had been under my car recently. I said, no, why? He replied, well, it looks like someone has been messing with your axles. (gasps) I said, there's no way. He said, come with me. Look. So we walked around and my car's up in the air. So I look up and all along the axles, it looks like little handprints wrapped around it. What? Internally, I'm freaking out and really wishing I had an explanation for this. I denied. He tells me that my car is fine other than the alignment I had just done a week before is suddenly very off. He fixed that, and I put this in the back of my mind. A couple of more months go by, and off and on, I tried finding any validity to the stories about the road and the cemetery. Still nothing. I decided to just leave it alone and not worry about it. One of my friends and her two kids and my kid all decided to take a trip. We're driving back late at night, kids are passed out in the back, and as we came back into Huntsville, traffic was at a standstill. I turned the radio to AM to find out what the issue was. Sure enough, there was a wreck. As we're inching along, I realized that the other end of Bowden Road is before the wreck, and the end I had used was after the wreck. I take the next exit and drive down to Bowden Road. My friend asked where we're going, and I told her around the traffic. As we start driving down the road, we get past the cemetery turn, and I start hearing my friend's young daughter coughing. My friend asks her what's wrong, and she replies in a very raspy voice, The man is choking me. (gasps) My friend's son is now awake, and so is my daughter. My friend's son says, Um, Mom, there is something happening on the trunk. I look into my rearview mirror. Internally, I say, Holy crap, he's right. There was this black outline of a person on my trunk, and it looked like he was reaching in the car. I pressed the gas. As I'm driving faster, my daughter says, Mom, why is there a torch in the field? I look left and there are torches in the field. And as I'm looking through the rows as we go, 
There is no one holding those torches. I, again, press the gas to make the car go faster. We get to the end of the road and my friend's daughter stops coughing as soon as we turn onto the paved road back to the freeway. When we get back to the freeway, I turned off to the feeder road and pull into a gas station so my friend could check on her daughter and we could get the kids drinks. My friend and I walked back to the car to get things out of the trunk and we both suddenly froze. Up by the back window in the dust and the grim of traveling were two perfect handprints. Oh my God. Perfectly centered behind where my friend's daughter was sitting. As we're standing there in shock, a man walks up behind us and says, who's been climbing in your car? And we both said, no one. And I stutter out, we took Bowden Road as a shortcut to get through the traffic. And he simply replied, I don't think Demon Road's like you and I would steer clear from it from now on. And I said, Demon's Road, really? And as I turned around to look at this guy, no one was there. No other cars or trucks. We never heard any engine start, and we never heard him walk away. My friend and I quickly opened the trunk, got what we needed, and went home as quickly as we could get there. I have never been back since. My friend and I have never spoken of what happened, and this is only the third time I have ever spoken of Demon's Road. I never plan on taking a chance on what Demon's Road could have in store for me next. Holy shit. That is scary as fuck. That should be a motherfucking movie. Right? Like, at the very least, like a short fucking film or something. That was good. That was so good. And I'm so glad you survived. Your friend's daughter survived. Like, and and that's so sweet, though, that Tara and Brian and you, like, pulled the weeds from the cemetery and, like, kept Yeah, but don't go back. (laughs) Yeah, don't go back. But it was really sweet that y'all... Cleared the headstones. I wonder why they didn't like her. I don't know. Maybe because she was like so nervous the first time. No, that's weird. I mean, you know, like she picked up on it. You know, maybe that's why. Maybe. But that was somebody's guardian, some shit. And she was looking into it. So maybe. Oh, yeah. That was them being like. Stop looking into us. Like, no, bitch. You in danger, girl. Mm hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, the next one is Close Encounters. Hey, dolls, your podcast keeps me in stitches throughout my day. I work at a pharmacy at night, but during the day, I'm home with my three crazy toddlers, and I'd go insane without adult voices. I feel like we're just old friends chatting and shooting the shit. Anyways, I have some paranormal stuff to share one day, but for now, I'm going to tell you a story of an extremely close call I had once. When I first started driving, I was terrified and never really wanted to be behind the wheel ever. I wasn't super familiar with all of the areas of my town because I was used to only going to school, youth group, Walmart, and home. You know, small town shit. Anyways, so I had a doctor's appointment in an unfamiliar area of town and I didn't realize that the road I was on led onto the interstate until it was too late. What in the clueless is going on here? Oh my gosh, yes! No one would let me over and people were honking and I'd never been on the interstate before by myself, so I was absolutely mortified. I went ahead and merged, thinking I'd just get off of the next exit and turn around. Unfortunately, I misunderstood some signs and kept driving a while and ended up in an even more rural area. 
thinking I might be able to just drive the back roads since the interstate experience was still so fresh and scary, I drove down winding roads and past homes and farms for a good while. I finally ended up at a gas station in the middle of freaking nowhere, and much to my chagrin, I lost cell service. So I went inside for a cold drink, pay for gas, and ask directions. This is where shit got real. As I was deciding between Cherry Coke or Dr. Pepper... Who are you, Carrie? I mean, living the dream over here in a creepy gas station. I heard the gas station attendant yell out someone's name who obviously was a regular. She said, hey, it's Willie Olds. My immature self chuckled because it sounds like really old. I know, dumb, but I'm glad I remembered it for later in my story. I paid for my drink, asked for directions, and went out to my car to gas up. BTW, I chuckled to myself also, so I would have laughed exactly like you did at this point. As I was walking out, Willie follows me out, flashing money from his wallet and calling out to me, calling me sweetheart or baby or some shit like that. He says he overheard I was new to the area and wanted to know if I wanted to park my car and let him escort me around town and give me the tour. You know, in the one-stop-light, $1 tree, rural farmland, middle of nowhere I was at. That makes total sense. Sarcasm noted. She wrote that. I started off politely declining and walked to my car. He kept catcalling me, and I tried to ignore him. He was a very large, fit man, and I was a waifish 18-year-old girl who looked more like I was 12 than a full-ass legal adult. Seriously, I have a baby face and a tiny voice, so people often don't take me seriously, it feels like, but I digress. He asked me if I would feel more comfortable if he parked his car and he rode in my car. Dude was not giving up. I went from trying to be polite to being increasingly more on edge. I said no thanks, but in a way that was also kind of saying fuck off. You know the voice. Anyways, about this time, old Willie goes back to his car. Phew. I breathe a sigh of relief. As I'm pumping gas, I look at my phone. Still no service. As I was finishing up at the pump, dude pulls up again, but this time his car is now completely blocking me in and blocking anyone's view of me as well. I'm only 5'2". I quickly pretend to answer my phone and had an entire fake conversation with my dad, the sheriff, who works too hard at the police station. My dad is actually an airplane mechanic, but he didn't need to know that. I never saw someone peel out so fast. That man must have thought he was on Fast and the Furious. I was extremely relieved to be left alone and on my way back home. I totally missed my appointment, but he ended up being an extremely shitty doctor, so it all worked out. So here's the kicker. About two years later, my mom and I discovered the Sex Offender Registry List website that tells you about the sex offenders in your area. Wouldn't you know it, but Willie Olds was on the list. When I saw him that day, he had been out of prison for less than a month. What was his crime, you ask? Oh, nothing major. Just false imprisonment, kidnapping, and extreme sexual battery of minor females. Yep. Remember how I looked 12? I was totally his type. My heart sunk into my butt. I can't believe how close I came to potentially being a victim of this asshole. 
I tried telling the cops, but they can't do anything for catcalling. So as far as I know, nothing came in my report. I hope his parole officer at least was notified to keep a closer watch on him as there's no way he had been rehabilitated. So scary. Anyways, thanks for being your beautiful, amazing, hilarious selves. Creep it real and don't get scared. Unless it's of an ingrown, toenailed, pedophile shithead who can't just treat women with respect and get a tender and meet women his own age who want consensual sex and not harass and rape minors. Wow. Um, that was super smart to, like, have the fake conversation with your dad. One, no service, so no one's going to, like, call you and interrupt. Yeah, I know. That was my first thought. I would totally be, like, that would totally be my luck, though, that someone would call. Mm-hmm. But then also to make your dad a sheriff and be like, you work too hard at the thing, you know, and, like, that way you're not like, oh, you're at the, uh, like, you're at the police station. Like, mm-hmm. it's that way to be, like. Dad, you work too hard at the station. They have you on so many cases, you know, mm-hmm. like so freaking smart. But, you know, Willie's Willie goes, whoop, <laughs> sheriff, gotta go. <laughs> Man, some fucking quick thinking. Mm-hmm. Hi, ladies. It's me again. This time I have a story of my personal experience with the paranormal medium reading. Well, this all started about two years ago. My parents go to a local campground with a bunch of my dad's friends every summer. They spend every single week in there, and sometimes they stay all week. Just a bit of backstory. My papa, my dad's dad, died when my dad was about 17 years old. He was a World War II vet and a prisoner of war. Oh, God. This caused so many health issues for him, so he passed from emphysema at the age of 55. My dad doesn't talk about his dad much because it makes him so sad and emotional. Now, I have always been a daddy's girl out of my dad's 11 kids. Yes, I said 11. I have always been his favorite. We just have a bond. I had attended a summer party at my parents' camp and was told that there was going to be a medium and she was going to be doing readings. I was so excited. I made sure to stop at an ATM to get money out for myself and my sister's reading and headed to the party. I was so excited to have my reading. Now, my dad has always said, I don't believe in that stuff. It's your imagination. I sit down to have my reading and the medium instantly starts choking. She needed water ASAP. I get her a glass and sit down. She then proceeds to tell me that she can see and feel things during readings. I say okay and brush it off. She starts off by saying, I see a lot of smoke and it's hard to breathe. She then started smiling at something behind me. There is nothing but wood behind me. She says, Papa said hi. I instantly started crying. She said, I can taste black licorice. I was just frozen over the Papa said hi comment. She then says, he said he doesn't use this word, but he said favorite as he points to you. He's behind you. I turned around and started to bawl like a baby. Then I felt this warm hug wrap around me, but no one was there. After my reading, I went to tell my parents what she said, knowing my dad was going to brush it off. As soon as I said that she said that she could taste licorice, he turned ghastly white and froze. He then proceeded to tell me that Papa loved black licorice, and he always carried a pack with him. Then I said that she was choking when I sat down and that she could see smoke. He said, your papa was a very heavy smoker, and when he died, he died because he was choking and couldn't get air into his lungs. 
So this is my story. Sorry if it's long. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks, Amy Jo. Johnstown, New York. Wow. I want to go to a medium like that. Yeah. Because I don't know who would come through. Like, I don't have any of my grandparents still. Yeah. Two of them I was close to, you know? I mean, I don't know. That's so crazy. Like, I want that experience. Me too. Do you think your parents have a favorite or had a favorite? Yeah. Who? My mama. Me. Duh. Okay. I'm not lying. She said I was the best mistake ever. Okay. Um, My daddy, my brother. Yes. For sure. he was the only son. For sure. For sure. Done. Man, y'all, I can't even with, I can't even. How fucking awesome y'all stories are every single week. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And we've had some true crime ones, like, the past three weeks. Y'all are killing it. Literally. Bad choice of words. Or good choice. You decide. (laughs) But, y'all, keep those stories coming in. Y'all, we appreciate it so much. We love doing these sinister sightings. It seems to be working out really well doing them once a week. So, y'all keep the stories coming, and these episodes will keep coming once a week. Yeah, and y'all, this is a great episode to show, like... There can be really long ones, and there can be short ones, and all in between. Like, we want y'all to write in and write what y'all want. So, how do you send them in, you ask? Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. Email it and put your name if you want your name read. If you don't want your name read, don't sign it. Or say, hey, can you call me Drea Von Houstonburg? Or just say anonymous. <laughs> Either way. And we'll give you your own name. Mm-hmm. So keep sending them in. And remember. Creep it real. And, and don't, don't get scared. scared.